this comes from James 3, 2 through 12. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is, perf- he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The word of the Lord. We're continuing in our sermon series on, uh, on growing up. And, uh, and the, uh, one of the things we want to talk about is our words and how they matter and what they matter for and what they're about. And um, I have to tell you that, um, that Amanda and I have this little game because uh, I tend to... Um, to kind of, I don't know if you uh, know me very well, but I tend to run my mouth a lot. Uh, and, uh, and I say silly things. Just the other week, my birthday was uh, about a week ago, and um, I was turned 36, and I was thinking to myself, and of course said out loud, maybe I think I'm about halfway done now. Take it back. Take it back. God, please don't listen to him. Let's don't listen to him. Amanda says, and, of course, I'm kind of doing the shock jock thing, you know, just, just saying it to say it, you know. And she's like, no, don't say it. See, Amanda gets it, that words matter. I, on the other hand, am just kind of playing around with them. If they didn't matter at all, I'm about halfway done being 36. And this is, um, this has been one of the hardest sermons I've had to prepare for. As I was talking to Pastor Howard, he goes, yeah, it would have been for me, too, because we're both blabbermouths, aren't we? My tongue is a tyrant. Curses come off my lips as easy as praise and encouragement, sometimes easier. When I get insecure, I start talking more, filling up the room with with my own ideas and thoughts just to kind of drown out all my insecurities. I talk too much. And of course, being a child of the 80s, I could not get Run DMC out of my head all week long. For you who are too young, I'm sorry that you have not experienced Run DMC. But there's a great song that says, you talk too much. Homeboy, you never shut up. I read from the poets and prophets, Reverend Run. Yes, he was a musician before a reality show guy. Uh... You're always spreading rumors. I'm not going to try to wrap this. I am entirely too white. (laughs) 
You're always spreading rumors, whether bad or good. You're the blank Walter Cronkite of the neighborhood. The Barbara Walters and the Howard Cosell, you always come around with a story to tell. Said it's everybody's business that you love to mind, and talking to you is like dropping a dime. For those of you who don't know about this historic thing called a phone booth, it's what the primitives used to use when they were calling people when there were no things called cell phones and they cost a dime for a phone call. And so, Never mind. And here's my favorite part. 25 hours, 8 days a week, 13 months out of the year is when you speak. Ecclesiastes, a couple thousand years beforehand, the Coaleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, did a similar poetic move. Uh, the KGV, the King James Version, translates it, Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything. For God is in heaven, and you upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You talk too much, homeboy, you never shut up. Same thing, really. And you see the irony, don't you? What's my job? Yeah, to preach. My job is to actually speak, and I'm a blabbermouth who sins in his words all the time. God's cosmic joke on me is to have this uh, vocation and this calling in my life that I tend to sin in a lot. And it really is uh, uh, scary for me. And and, um, and even though it's a sense, uh, I think God has a sense of humor, I feel like I'm an alcoholic called to ten bar. It's really hard. Words matter. And you know it. And so what we're going to talk about, and we're going to explore together, because I do not come with answers here. I wish I did. Oh, I wish I did. I come with struggle to bring before you and our God together, and hopefully be able to join with me. But we're going to talk about the power of the tongue, the weight of it, the sheer power force, this muscle in your mouth that can do amazing things. And God created it that way. And then we're going to talk about uh, what I've dubbed uh, speech impediments. Things that uh, keep our tongues and our mouths and our words from going well. And then we're going to try to figure out what this has to do with Jesus and Christianity and God and the Holy Spirit and stuff. Since we're in church and all. Um, what does this have to do with being called to follow Jesus? And what does it mean? What does it have to do with Christianity as a whole? So we're going to go with the power of the tongue. I don't know if you know this. I'm a, uh, I like to dabble in philosophy and stuff like that. So I read all sorts of stuff that I don't understand. And... Uh, um, it's one of the most popular and perplexing things to write about in uh, present uh, political theory, rhetorical theory, um, uh, and uh, philosophy is the, is, the, uh, is the importance and the use of language, its limits, its power. Uh, and from Augustine to Nietzsche, they've written about this, whether it's like you're limited, your thoughts are limited by your ability to articulate anything. There's all sorts of stuff written about it. Um, and its importance. And uh, my friend Greg Thompson, who's studying, uh, he's getting his PhD in, at UVA, um, is, is, was writing a, uh, an article on speech and speech ethics. And he starts with this. Our words matter. Mundane and unconsidered though they often are, they nevertheless remain the strange gift by means of which we make our way in the world. With them we name and are named. Through them we welcome and are welcomed. By them we war and are warred upon. Listen to this part. They are rimless 
in their mystery and terrible in their power. That's good, isn't it? Got to have smart friends. If you're not smart, you can quote them. Um, That's what Pastor James is getting at here when he's talking to us. He starts using these two metaphors, this bit and this rudder, right? He's talking about the power and the metaphor. We're using these metaphors to help us understand the power of this little thing in our mouths. When we put bits, this is verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Your tongue steers you. It controls the whole body. It's a guiding, steering kind of mechanism, like that bit or the rudder or something like that. Small but powerful. Think of, it's like an ant. It can carry ten times, a hundred times its weight. It's the mighty mouse of organs. It can move your entire body towards it. And you know this because every fight starts with someone talking smack. Right? Words initiate fisticuffs. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Baloney. Not just because we're going to talk about later how much they really can deeply injure us, but because the sticks and stones start getting thrown after somebody's called you a name. Or in my day and age, when someone calls your mama a name. Those are fighting words. Right? That's what it was. Proverbs 18 has it basically perfectly in order about the way our tongues steer us. Listen to this. you got to love Proverbs a fool's lips walk into a fight. I mean, think about it. <laughs> How does that work? you got to love that. It's just like, I'm going straight to it right there. You know? And his mouth invites a beating. How contemporary is that language? You know, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> I love it. You talk too much. You never shut up. That's what's going on. And it's exactly precisely with words that kind of escalate things even further. You say that about my mom, I'm going to kick your tail, right? And then, no, you ain't, you know, just how it goes. I mean, that's what I heard some of my friends did. Relatively speaking, your tongue is small, but it is a small rudder steering the pilot wherever it goes. And so the tongue doesn't just steer us. I want you to hear it. It's a little more subtle in the text here, but it actually shapes us. It, It shapes the world to be, in a sense. It says, and look at this part, it says, it makes great boasts. Though it's small, it makes great boasts. This isn't just junk talking here. This is actually saying that it's proclaiming something about the way the world to be. It's not just, uh, uh, yeah, like smack talking. It's not just arrogance, but it's formation. Hans Georg Gadamer, another philosopher, one of those guys that likes to write about this stuff, says this. When you take a word in your mouth, you must realize that you have not taken a tool that, you can, that can be thrown aside if, you, if it will not do the job. But you are fixed in a direction of thought which comes from afar and stretches beyond you. When you put a word on your lips, it's more powerful than you and you can't just discard it. It goes out there and it forms the world. It forms and shapes the relationship or interactions. Proverbs again, Proverbs 18. I I should have written all these out for you. But Proverbs 18, if you want to jot it down, is a great uh, help with James 3 to kind of look at it. Proverbs 18, the last verse was 6. This is 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Or verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18 again. 
power shaping, even kind of governing others with death and life, deep down, innermost part affecting, delicious, morsel, death and life having. That's what the scriptures teach that words are and the power of our tongues. And you know this too, because you have been shaped by words. You know them intrinsically, and sometimes you have to be told that you know them so that you can kind of figure out, ooh, I shouldn't believe that. Boys don't cry. So every boy who has a tear about to come from his eyes has to fight through his shame first before he can live honestly with either himself, his God, or his neighbor. How about the little girl, the uh, the little um, Barbie doll that says she does not like math? I hate math. So what are we doing? Taking an entire generation of people who says if you're going to be Barbie doll-ish, you can't like math? A whole bar- a generation of women who can't like mathematics and stuff like that, philosophy, physics, all that stuff? It's crazy. It's insane. But we believe them somewhere because we've been told them. Because the words are not tools you can just discard. They come through and they, they shape into the world and they come out and they, they change the way the dynamic of a relating goes. This is, uh, this is my favorite one is you are a self-made man or a self-made w- woman which is as much bohunkus as you could ever come up with in your entire life. Like you never had a friend or a mom or a dad or, a, you know, whatever. Didn't live in a community. Nobody ever fed you. You know, nobody wiped your tail when you couldn't wipe it yourself. You know? Or even think about this. You hear this, all this kind of political speech. This is the day and the age of political speech. We're talking about it all the time. This rhetoric. Anti-abortion. Pro-life. Pro-choice. Pro-abortion. I haven't heard anti-choice yet, but you should throw it in there. The turn of a phrase is the turn of conscience. It's the turn of a conscious. It's the turn of an entire community. It shapes things. And words do matter. Is it a bailout or is it a rescue package? We care. It matters how we describe them. And so the scripture goes on, and you see this in verse 10. Out of the same mouth, this power, come praise and cursing. James tells us that they both come out together. And this is what we know. This is why we know the power of words. Let's get a little bit more specific now. Bill Marquardt was teaching us Monday night, one of your elders, about his own uh, needing to repent of, of, of having duty be the, the one defining reality in his life. And he said, it was my fifth grade teacher who... Uh, had it written above my, uh, above her uh, when she spoke, it was Miss Patton, fifth grade. Mrs. Patton in fifth grade. And above her, whenever she taught, it said on the back, if it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. And she would constantly say, those are the ten most important words you'll ever know. Ten two-letter words stuck together, the most important words you would know. If it is to be, it is up to me. And he shared with us how that, the, that was the, became the mantra of his life. Not a lot of room for like Jesus and God and stuff in there, if it is be uh, to me. There's some good in that. So that's always the case that it is with our words. There's always good in it. There's something that's right about personal responsibility, yada, yada, yada. How about this? Amanda's daddy, my father-in-law, used to say to her, probably almost every time she went out, and I dated her for six and a half years before we got married, so I was there for most of them, or a lot of them. It doesn't matter where you are or what you need. If you need me, call me, and I'll be there. That is assurance rung true in my wife's wife, where she doesn't doubt the presence not only of her father. A couple times I thought in the middle of fights in high school that I wasn't sure what was going to happen and if he did show up. Uh, but also the presence of her heavenly father. 
informed her that that was a true reality for her and for her life. There's a person in our midst who, uh, who read a book called The Stand. You know this one? This, uh, um, uh, 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 this uh, Stephen King book. It's that, it's that thick. I'm still working through it. Um, but in it, there's a, a, I'm not going to describe everything, but there's this moment where Mother Abigail, who's kind of this prophetess, uh, is talking with two other people, Ralph and Nick, and, and uh, Ralph talks about Nick not believing in God. He says, he don't believe in God, Ralph says, and Mother Abigail says, God bless you, Nick, but it don't matter. He believes in you. Very interesting. This was not just one of the turning points in the book, but really one of the turning points in this person's life as they began to to uh, to, to to think of, uh, to, to move away from some of the kind of temptations towards uh, atheism and temptations towards that God didn't really care about me or matter. Simple words that function and change our lives completely. And you also know this, blessing and curse, as you think about a phrase. Let me, let me, let me make a statement that, that may or may not work for you. We'll see. There is a phrase that you know. There is a statement that you have emblazoned in your mind and heart that haunts you to this day that someone told you. Or you heard someone tell someone else. The truth is, if we could uncover those, nobody had to go to counseling because that's basically what we do in counseling. Try to uncover where those things are that we actually believe. Some of you had that happen to you and you've spent the rest of your life trying to make sure that didn't ever come up again. But it's still there and still controls you. I know this because I know you and I know me. Words matter. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. That, oh, hey, how you doing? That would be hard enough. That death and life are in the power of the tongue if we didn't have what I call speech impediments. That we have a real problem with being able to articulate, to, to talk about, to, to, uh, to vocalize, to kind of live out loud what's true about the world and what's true about ourselves and to speak true things. I said, I, I have three quick things for you, uh, that I think that were kind of tongue tied and I'll say tongue tempted. <coughs> and we all have glossitis, which is a tongue disease. I'll get to that in a second. Here's the deal. Our first speech impediment is actually, uh, it's only a pediment because we're fallen, and it's an anatomical problem. Our tongues are tied to our hearts. Think about the heart-tongue connection in this passage here, and you will do it more with Jesus' words. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by, small, by a small spark in verse 5 and 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. James is doing here, what James is doing here is he's connecting the tongue to the entire body and showing how our fallenness is affected in both places. It's a corrupting reality, but it has a, uh, but it is a, a thing that corrupts the center, which, in, which invades all of our life. Jesus' words do, do the same thing, and this is kind of, uh, again, much more of a topical sermon than just a passage on, we're not just going through James now, so I'm gonna bring some stuff from other places in the scripture, but Jesus basically says the tongue bone is connected to the heart bone. In Matthew 15, this is a great one, all the Pharisees and the uh, uh, Herodists, people following Herod, were, um, were, were asking, um, how come your disciples, and it is kind of nasty, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? It's a, it's a ceremonial issue. It's, a, it's an issue of purity and stuff like that. And Jesus says this, 
What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that makes him unclean. This is great Jesus stuff right here. The really nice Jesus that everybody loves. Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? Anatomy lesson number one. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hand doesn't make a man unclean. Anatomy lesson number two. The creating of the speech impediment is because it's connected to our hearts. I was with a really close friend of mine uh, on Monday, actually Sunday and Monday of this week, um, who uh, knows me really, really well. And we spent a couple hours over a couple of days together and uh, and we talked. And um, frankly, he, he started, after we had finished talking, um, he, he wanted to ask me about one certain situation about a relationship I have with a friend. Um, I had made some kind of... Um, snarky comments and some coarse jokes some things like that and a friend of mine who heard it and heard my sadness about the situation and someone who hurt me pretty significantly in relationship and someone I tried to come back with and fix don't worry it's nobody in this church don't do that part um uh had had um had had hurt me and so I had I had not had the place I tried to confront and talk and work through it out it just wasn't working and finally my friend comes to me and says you're bitter. I know you've tried to reconcile with the person, but you're bitter. Your words betray you. This ain't a him problem. This is a you problem and a you and Jesus problem. You got a lot of friends like that, right? And then he says, usually you're kind of slimy when it comes to sin, Giorgio. I can, you know, you'll repent just enough so I don't get the whole thing. But brother, this was low-hanging fruit. Your mouth betrayed you. I knew exactly what was in your heart. And I went, oh, after I fought him a couple times for a little bit, and I went, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Because the heart bone's connected to the tongue bone. But we're not just, uh, you know, tongue-tied like this. We're tongue-tempted. I want you to listen to the severity of the next words. Words that have power. I want you to listen to the severity in eight. It, the tongue, corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And the great understatement of maybe all of James, maybe the whole scripture, my brothers, this should not be. And here's where I got stuck, y'all. As I was preparing the sermon, a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, what do you respond to that? Uh-uh. Maybe not so bad. That's what I feel like, but it seems silly to even protest like I protest too much. 
especially after my present experience of my experience with my buddy who was so kind to tell me that it was in fact true. So I went to some resources outside myself because I didn't have any to tell you what this might look like for you to be tempted by the fires of hell. Westminster Larger Catechism asks the question, what's the ninth commandment sin of lying? What's, what's forbidden there? And it answers, and I'm going to read this, and it's a little bit long, and it's, you know, forbiddenness kind of talking. You know, it's definitely written in the 1640s. But it says, what does lying or sin of the tongue look like? Here you go. Sin forbidden in the ninth commandment are, sins commit, forbidden in the ninth commandment are, all prejudicing the truth and the good name of your neighbors, as well as your own. You can't even talk junk about yourself. Especially in public, giving false evidence, suborning false witness, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and outbearing the truth, passing an unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause. That means being quiet when you shouldn't be. Holding your peace when iniquity calleth for either reproof, for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. Like when you're supposed to speak justice out. Speaking the truth unreasonably or maliciously to a wrong end. Perverting it for a wrong meaning. Saying something true to get over on someone. Or in a doubtful and unequivocal expressions or equivocal expressions to prejudice the truth or justice. To lie, slander, backbite, detract, tail bear. Whisper, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censuring, misconstructing intentions, misconstruing words and actions, flattery, vainglorious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of yourself or others. Oh, sometimes I do the self-deprecating thing, right? And Amanda goes, you're not allowed to talk about a son of God like that. Denying the gifts and graces of God. Aggravating smaller offense means, you know, blowing up, doing a little hyperbole. Hiding, excusing, or extenuating sins when called to free confession. Unnecessary discovery of others' infirmities. (laughs) Raising false rumors. Receiving evil reports. Stopping our ears against just defense or evil suspicion. Here's the snow. Envying or grieving at deserved credit of any. Endeavoring or desiring to impair it, rejoicing in the disgrace and infamy of another. Scornful contempt, fond admiration, breach of lawful promises, neglecting such things that are of good report. Not hindering or hindering what would come of someone's good name. And that's just the one question. The other question is, what does it require? There's a whole other one that I just, you know, you know, time permits and stuff. Y'all, the very fires of hell set our tongues on fire. I have a close family member that did this and didn't intend to. This is where those words can be so destructive and didn't mean to. And um, it is something I believe probably for 15 to 20 years until I realized that it was something that had power over me and I didn't know it. Until I spoke it out again and someone said, that's not true. And I don't even know if they're talking to me or they're talking to somebody else, but it was a friend, it was a family member who had lost a lot of weight. 
And, uh, and it was very chic all the time anyway. But then they said, you know, and I don't know if it was to me or to somebody else, it doesn't matter how chic or how nicely you dress. If you're overweight, you'll never look good. That is fire from hell. That is fire from hell that burned in my heart and tongue for years. It is not true. I know the person would take it back if they could. They probably don't even remember saying it. But it was fire from hell. And I know they would say it too. And here's the worst part of it all. That James says, you can't control it either. We have the glossitis, that we are not just tongue-tied or tongue-tempted, but we are tongue-diseased. We got us a tongue problem that we can't fix. Animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. So not only are we jacked up, we can't help but be jacked up. Nobody can do this. We can teach dolphins to flip. And we cannot tame our tongue. We can stretch open a lion's mouth and his tongue and stick our head in it. And we can't tame a tongue. We get parrots to mimic exactly what we say, taming their tongues, but can't tame our tongues. We don't do it. God has made us dominion over all things, but this little elephant right here won't take it. We don't have the power over it. And we need like 12 steps for tongues. Rabbi Joseph Telishkin, who wrote Words That Hurt and Words That Heal, great book about uh, the way we, we, we treat our, uh, the way we speak to people. He says, look, if you can't, if you can't have, if you can't go 24 hours out without a drink, you're probably addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without a cigarette, you're probably addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without saying something bad about somebody, you're probably addicted to bad, to, to, to your tongue, uh, to the evil of your tongue. Try this diagnostic. Give yourself 24 hours. Ah, oh, 48 hours. We'll give you a little extra space. Maybe a week. Think about the stuff you said. Ready? I know it's scary already. Is it anything other than true in content? Is it anything other than kind in manner? Is it anything other than loving in purpose? Is it anything other than necessary? Is it anything other than dignity-bringing or respectful, even in rebuke? And do you have the right to say it? See why I had a little trouble with the sermon? We're shot here. The severity of what James is doing here meets the severity of what Jesus did. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment... For every careless word they have spoken. I purposely didn't print the first verse in James 3. Because James 1 says, not many of you be teachers. Because you'll be judged double harshly. Every careless word? What will we do? How can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? We give an account for these things. So what does this have to do with Christianity? I hope this, I don't want it to feel condemning, but I know it does feel condemning. Now, welcome to my week. (laughs) 
what Pastor James does is does a little bit of judo because the answer is not at the end but the beginning. Look at two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Wait, didn't he just say that ain't nobody can do that? Nobody can do that, right? But if there could be one and keep the whole body in check. You know what Jesus' almost nickname in the Bible is? Don't say Christ. The Word. A master of spiritual rhetoric. People try to snag him on his words, it says. Catch him in his words, the Pharisees would try to do. John says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. That God spoke, spoke life into being. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God speaks, like E.F. Hutton, creation listens. Everything responds. The power of the Word is from God. Word, tongue, Jesus, all this stuff deeply and profoundly matters. And Jesus is the Word. And He's the preacher, the prophet, the one who speaks the Word. Mark 10, the disciples were amazed at the words of Jesus. Luke 24, He was a prophet, powerful in word. Hebrews 12, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word over you. Luke 4, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? (laughs) Hebrews 1, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Word who has the Word and uses the Word perfectly. And you know what the Gospel is called? It's called the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians. Colossians 3, the Word of Christ is the Gospel is called. Or the Word of Salvation from Acts 13. 2 Corinthians 5, the Word of Reconciliation, reconciling God and man. Word of Truth, 2 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 1, Romans 10, the Word of Faith, Philippians 1, the Word of Life. You get the picture? There is this true word spoken over us. Jesus in Revelation 19 is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the true word. John and uh, Jesus in John 15 says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken over you. Jesus declares is and declares the word of peace and cleansing over us. We would curse ourselves and have cursed ourselves with no power over our tongue. But Jesus the word comes and does speech therapy like no other. He comes and does pathology to our mouths so that we can again be unbridled, can, can have them bridled rightly and freed rightly, loosed our tongues. The other, we've been just talking about James 3 with the fire and the, the, our, that our, our tongues are like fire. One of the great miracles in the New Testament is that there's fires, uh, the tongues of fire, uh, because of the gospel that go forth in a positive way, burning, uh, the hearts of men as they move, men and women as they preach forth the gospel in the early parts of Acts. This Jesus spoke words like this. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. While he was on the cross, while his mouth 
was filled with vinegar, his tongue tasting the vinegar and uh, that they gave him. He says, Father, forgive them. And he says things like, it is finished. And what he's saying is, I have come to speech pathologize the universe and bring your tongues into submission rightly to me. So that every tongue can then say that Jesus is Lord. Every knee would bow to him. On our own, we deserve, the scripture says this clearly, that our, that our, um, our tongues and hearts are lit on the fire, lit, lit by the fires of hell. But Jesus the Word has come to redeem that very thing. There is the perfect man who doesn't just, who's not just able to keep his whole body in check, but to keep us as Christ's body in check too. And he does do that, saying it is finished, saying at the end of Revelation, behold, I make all things, even your tongue, new. He's the tamer of our tongue. And Charles Edward was the tamer of my tongue not too long ago. You don't know I'm doing this. <laughs> Didn't see you beforehand, or I would have told you. <laughs> I um, was having a bad day. And you already got in a little bit my, uh, my, uh, snarky comments that I can make. When I said, you know, 36, I'm about halfway done. But I was talking to somebody, it wasn't even a parishioner or anybody in the congregation or something. I think I was talking to another pastor and I was like, you know, some, t- I think I got off the phone and I said, Charles, you know, sometimes Christians don't make me want to be a Christian. Ha ha ha, joke, 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 connect, da 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 da. And Charles looked at me and goes, Oh, pastor, that's not true. Not me, man. Not me. He doesn't even know this. Well, I did tell him then. I gave him a big hug and said, thank you for rebuking me. Because I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to put out there in the universe something I can't control that says I want to deny Christ because of sin in the world. That I'm throwing it out there. Yes, it's a throwaway comment. It's not a throwaway comment. It matters deeply. That I could be that trivial was a thing that I should prize so much. And it took my brother to tell me, you actually, you prize this a lot more. Let me show you how to prize it well. Charles was the tamer of my tongue that day. And Jesus, through his body and through his spirit, is the forgiver of our sins that cleanses our hearts, that then fuels the tongue to be tamed rightly, to be speech pathologized in a way that we can be more about the blessing, more about the praise, and refrain from the curses, and refrain from the criticism. Jesus is the Savior of our tongues. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do beg you that you would come, that you would shape our mouths, our tongues, our hearts. You would do all of that. We cannot do it on our own. Your scripture teaches our inability that we can't tame it. Oh, Lord, we are lost without you. We are lost without you coming and being our speech pathologist, but being our doctor. Come and do that. Resurrect our dead hearts, our flints of stone hearts that inflame our tongues. Make them soft again. Make them soft for you. We ask in your name. Amen.